Zone World. We're back from this one week hiatus. Season number two. I guess this week, Davo of Double Duchess. It was going to be both members of the group, but something came up. And I think it was a real tight interview. The art, as always, by Mike Riley. Check him out at Mike Riley Comics. And we're being hosted by Splice Today. Check them out at splicetoday.com. Let's, Let's go, go in. I grew up in Annapolis. I grew up in Rolling Hills, <laughs> neighborhood my parents cool. still live in. Were you playing music from like a early age? Yeah, like I was definitely. My mom, we were actually talking about this earlier. I was like banged on stuff when I was like two, and like yeah. pots and pans, and yeah. I mean, ever since like middle school. Um, my mom was all, she was saying how she's like she'd always like do you want to take this or do you want to take lessons for that and I was I was like nah, um, but like in sixth grade I guess was I had like my first very riggedy drum set yeah and so I would like watch the funny story is I went to Master Musicians for like which that used to be that music shop back in the day I think there was one in maybe one in Baltimore but there was definitely I don't one remember in, that one. there was one in Annapolis I think there was one in Glen Burnie yeah. And um, I was like, yeah, like, I'll take drum lessons. So I wanted to take private drum lessons for about, like, th- I took it for maybe, like, three months. And I walked in, and he was like, okay, well, you know, what do you want to play? And I was like, I kind of want to learn how to play this tune. And it was like, Belby of Devote Poison. <laughs> and he's like, you do realize those are all programmed, right? And I was like, I don't care, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, my influences were never, like, these, like, crazy hair rock drummers. They were always, right, like, right, these right. cats from, like, the MTV raps or, like, right, all these right, videos right. that I would watch. Because the beats were, like, way cooler, in my opinion. Did he teach you how to play? Yeah, I mean, he taught me the basic thing, like, you know what I mean? Those are, like, my rudiments as a child, you know? That's awesome. But, yeah, that's where, like, most of my musical stuff came from. Like, I would literally just watch, like, MTV raps and just, like, try to play all the beats, like... And I'd always, like, tap on stuff and bang on stuff, but, like, that's kind of, like, how I learned to play drums, pretty much. Yeah. And, like, what was your first project that you did um i mean i guess i guess geppetto probably was my first real pro no i take that back so chris who you know as yeah we all know his cause um who i was also like the frontman shared frontman things with in geppetto we were in a band when we were like 13 or 14 maybe 14 it was called the little monsters mm. and it was like chris's neighbor played guitar chris played bass and i played drums and it was, like, you know, everything from, like, basic funk house jams to, like, learning Counting Crow and Counting Crows and, yeah. like, Arrested Development songs, you know? Yeah. So it was very just, like, it was very just, like, fun. Like, we'd play together and just, like, jam out. And yeah. Then, so, yeah, that was, like, my f- quote-unquote first band. That, I mean, we never actually played a show. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so I guess my first band was Geppetto. Yeah. And, like, you know, something I'm trying to do with this podcast, like, I feel like I've done a lot of documenting of different Baltimore scenes, but, like, 
none yet for Annapolis. You Got know, it. But I want to get it going. Like, like what was, from your view as a young dude, like, what was going on in Annapolis? At yeah. The, in music, you know? In music? Like, where, I, like, at the level I was, or people that I was, like, sort of Or just anything. By, yeah, yeah, like, what was, what was happening? I mean, the obvious one was, like, Jimmy's Chicken Shack, right? Yeah. It's, like... Jimmy Second Shack kind of like one of the first shows I ever saw was it was like before three eleven got really big and it was like Jimmy Second Shack and this band called Shooty's Groove and and three eleven. Mm. And that was like the show and it was at like Michael's Eighth Avenue or something. And it was like inspiring because it was like a legit show. There's like a legit real show. It was like my first like sort of I was probably like fifteen or something. And it was yeah. the first like show where it wasn't like seeing, like, TLC at fucking, you know, some, like, yeah. stadium. And then it wasn't, like, some hall show that you see. So it was, yeah. like, this in-between level of, like, success, if you will, that I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty tight. Like, there's, like, you know, and it was, like, and I was sort of, like, re- I was always, like, really into hip-hop, but I was, like, sort of hanging out with live music kids. So there yeah. was, like, sort of that exploration of figuring out where that middle ground was for me. Totally. And things are happening, like, in other genres around them, like, you know, like, Beastie Boys Check Your Head came out, and Butthole Surfers did, like, weird looped sample-based music, you know? Yeah. That was sort of, like, in that in-between area. So that, but that was my first experience of local stuff, I guess. Yeah. Seeing those cats do their thing. And... I think about Geppetto sometimes, because, like, <laughs> me and Grunge were talking about this, how, like, our early touring a lot of times it would be like you go to one place and you meet this cool band and they basically don't have any fans and then you go to another place and become friends with this other band and they kind of like it's kind of like no one has anything going on right. but like I felt like at that time was kind of like an anomaly because you were like at least in our from our perspective because you guys were like this very popular local band it's it seemed right. to me. Did, yeah. Would you? I don't know. What like? What was that? What was that like as a first experience? Yeah. Know? Um. That's interesting. I mean, it was kind of like. It's interesting how like, as you get older, like you're like. I don't want this to sound shitty. You almost kind of like have, like, you want to impress the people that aren't impressed with you. You know what I mean? So you're sort of like aiming to impress these cool kids that don't really give you the time of day. Uh However, we had like a really rad group of like people that were like super into us. Right, right. You know what I mean? Which is like, and in retrospect, you kind of feel like a dick for taking those people for granted. Do you know what I mean? Because they were like fans, man. And it's just like, um, however, it's like, so I don't know. It was it was fun. I was talking about this the other day with with Krylon, obviously who's yeah. not here, who's obviously part of Double Duchess yeah. as well. Um, and Krylon had obviously growing up in San Diego has like no fucking idea about any of this shit really. I mean, from a local perspective. So right. he was like, somebody posted pictures of like us hanging out with Good Charlotte or like a show, and right. um, you know, and Krylon vaguely knew who Good Charlotte was, yeah. but. Um, so it was funny explaining, like, the relationship of how that happened. And I was, like, trying to explain the, that dynamic of, like, a lot of business cats liked Good Charlotte and saw the potential. And so but that's kind of why they grew up. But we had, Geppetto had all kind of, like, a lot more of, like, the street cred. 
So, yeah. like, a lot of our fans would make fun of Good Charlotte. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, um, but a lot of Good Charlotte fans would be into us, too. Yeah. So it was, like, the street cred was, like, pretty rad to have. And it was sort of this, like, underground idea of, like, success. Because, you know, we felt this kind of things bubbling with, with us. Yeah. But we weren't sort of really, like, ready to be groomed, if you will. Um, mm. And Good Charlotte was sort of, like, already kind of either... I'll say ready to be groomed, but we're also just kind of like easily be marketable to a wider audience. Yeah, and like, like, why would you say you guys were not ready? Like, or you do you just didn't want to go that same route or something? Like, yeah, I think some of it was we didn't want to go the same route. Some of it is like, um, we kind of like got to a point where we thought we could be bigger, but didn't really know how to do it. You know? Yeah. And, like, and funny how, like, in retrospect, um, well, not even, like, I mean, things are obviously way different now. So it's, like, there wasn't a lot of in-between availability to people, like, you know, we went from, like, our friend who managed us, and we're, like, talking to guys who managed, like, fucking, like, Moby or something at the time. Right, right. So there was no, like, there was no stepping stones in a lot of way. It was either, like, you kind of continue to just, like, pile in a van and play shows and sort of like gain fans on like this ground level yeah or you like signed your life away to like moby <laughs> you know what mm. you know what i mean so to us there wasn't and this could have been also young and naive and not knowing a lot but there to us there wasn't a lot of in-between access to that yeah you know yeah to those guys that would sort of like breed you further along totally and like and maybe not such a large level but you know and that's like you know we see people like like um which, like, now, in retrospect, Jimmy's Chicken Shack was kind of an act like that, that sort of reached a little bit of some national totally. variety and, like, had some singles and yeah. cats in Florida knew about them and, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, weren't at this, like, sort of hugely pop star level that Good Charlotte was. You yeah, know? yeah. And I think yeah. Geppetto was on our, on our way to that. Yeah. Like, I think there was enough, like, ground buzz from us. Um, that, you know, things could have kept going. I think we all just kind of, like... A democracy is hard to keep between five people, you yeah. know what I mean, in a band. And I think that after a while, it was like, we all kind of want to do different shit, mm. you know? And also, maybe not carry the weight of others who weren't as yeah. invested and, you know, things like that. So, What was your next move from there? I kind of was living with Casey... Kaz and I moved in with Casey, and that's actually where I learned a lot of um, production. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I learned yeah. a lot of, like, a, like I started on, like, Reason and Cubase and Nuendo and, like, all that kind of stuff. And it was, like, good for me because being somebody who was, like, really kind of beat and drum-oriented, like, it's hard to be a, a producer with a drum set, so to speak. Yeah. So learning all these other tools was, like, really, was huge for me because, like, I was, like, oh, I can actually, like, write all my own songs and, like, you know, whatever. Like, that was a lot more... Like, it was just kind of changed the way I viewed music. Like, oh, yeah. Before, it was, like, being, like, a... You know, I was either, like, a lyricist and, like, a rapper, or I was, like, like banging on a drum set. Yeah. So both, you kind of need other musicians, if you will, to kind of, like, make a song. Yeah. You know? So that kind of, like, changed the game for me in that sense. And so... But I still played drums a lot, and... um you know, started to started to rap a little less. A lot of it was because coming out of Geppetto, I was like becoming kind of aware of my sexuality, 
and pushed a little bit in the pushed myself in sort of the quiet zone of like didn't have much to say or like didn't want to like like I was kind of losing a little bit of an identity right I was like sort of this like white rapper who wrote about stuff that was sort of artistic in my in my eyes with Japan yeah. and then um yeah, just kind of like didn't really know what to fucking rap about after a while, I guess. I don't know. Mm. You know? Kind of like the old thing didn't fit right. or something. Yeah. Kind of like it was like I was tired of rapping about it without being direct about it. You know? Yeah. So I sort of write the struggles of like being closeted, so to speak, but mask them in a way of being angry at society or like, do you know what I mean? Oh, so like, yeah. Yeah, so sort of like lyrically I'd write them. In a way, I was forced to write them artistically because I wasn't ready to sort of, like, say exactly what I wanted to say. You know what I mean? So it sort of masked them. And it continued with Victory Party. So Victory Party came out of... Well, it's like I kind of dabbled in a few indie rock projects and very, like, math-rocky and, like... um, In Annapolis still? Yeah, in Annapolis. And kind of that area. So, like, Casey and Chris and I jammed together a lot and kind of made these, like... Played with, like... Like, um, songs that are in seven or five, you know, yeah. like, kind of time signatures and very, like, inspired by bands like June of 44 and Shellac and, like, yeah. that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, which is really fun and stimulating to, like, create in that way. Totally. And then, um, and they were fun, but Chris and I, I think, eventually formed Victory Party soon after that. That was sort of, um, kind of a hybrid of production and live instrumentation. Yeah. And one of which I was, like, on the helm of, like, drumming more so than, like, writing lyrics and stuff. Yeah. But, um... But, yeah, I still wrote lyrics on a few songs, like that song, Winston. Um... And Winston is a prime example of me sort of doing what I was in Geppetto, where I was, like... The song was sort of about being in love with somebody, but sort of, like, I kind of masked it as, like, writing about being in love with a plant, and, like, um the idea that like plants bloom and then they die and then it like comes back to life and this yeah so it was sort of like um i wasn't really like fully out either which i wasn't fully ready to accept it and like embrace it in a lot of ways oh, okay you know yeah other people may it's expected or kind of known and you know like we all have our expectations about, or like, sort of our assumptions about certain people you know like yeah you're like ah, that kid might be gay but it's kind of like you don't you can't really accuse anybody until they're really to embrace it. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, I was kind of in those, like, gray stages of, like, you know, figuring it out, so yeah. to speak. So it kind of plays a lot of role into, like, why I stopped rapping for a while. Mm. Um, and then sort of dove into, like, more of, like, production and yeah. drums and, like, and all that kind of stuff, basically. Yeah, I guess it's it's, like... It seems like maybe there's more room for grayness or something if you're not doing like lyrics. lyrics full exactly. On. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You can like be involved in all the creative processes, but yeah, not have to sort of like put a yeah, put lyrics to your experience. You know, if you're not like the you know singing or writing per se. You guys like went out to the West Coast to to be a band, right? Or... Yeah, yeah, we kind of started, um, 
we started here, obviously. Yeah. Um, and did some stuff around town and put out a record. I think we, yeah, I think we finished the record here. And then, um, yeah, like around that time, I got sober too. Oh. Um, which was like a thing, you know, like, I, I guess when I was like 25, just, a, you know, whatever. People yeah. have a gauge of an age, but like, um, and then so that's kind of what Future People or Victory Party kind of started kind of around that time. Yeah. So it was sort of like, you know, and then by the time we were 27, I kind of like was ready to get out of here. Like I was just like needed a change for yeah. sure. Like, um, and I think Kaz was ready to move too. And um, yeah, so me, Kaz, and this guy that I was dating, Steve at the time, all kind of just like were like, yeah, let's move to the West Coast. And if Chris and I's idea was like, well, if anything, it's like a new coast to tour on, you know? Oh, yeah. Because we had done the West Coast a lot with Geppetto and other projects. So uh-huh. we were like, fuck it, let's move to the West Coast. You yeah. Know? And San Fran made sense. San Fran for us was like, for me at the time, was it was like a city that felt a little bit like, is built and functions a little bit like an East Coast city. Mm-hmm. versus, like, any other place on the West. Yeah. So we were like, <laughs> <Exactly>. all right, <laughs> San Francisco sounds good, you know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we moved out there to tour, and, like, of course, none of that really happened, you know? Mm. Like, Kaz got a bunch of jobs um, touring with other people and taking on a lot of jobs of, like, guitar teching and road managing and tour managing and all that stuff. Yeah. And, um, and I actually kind of dove into... A little more like production and started to kind of DJ a little bit, mm. um, and that's kind of where the name Devo kind of came about. Yeah. So I wrote like a solo record, um, and that was sort of stuff that I had started around the Future People or Victory Party time, mm. but kind of decided to just buckle down and finish when yeah. I got to the West Coast. Um, and so that song's called Benefit of the Doubt. That record's called Benefit of the Doubt. And, um, yeah, it's very much this, like, in-between stage of, like, me sort of starting to sort of, like, do more lyrics and, like, but it's a bit more of, like, a cross between sort of, like, emo, independent hip-hop lyric stuff. Okay. Some singing, minimal. And then, um, yeah, and then mostly just, like, I produced the whole thing. So it was sort of, like, yeah, it was more of, like, a, yeah, I could do this kind of thing, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, and then the DJing part came from, at the time I was just like really into like chopping up samples and putting together DJ sets with, um, with like sort of SPDS samplers. And so it was sort of like before I started to DJ, like, I guess you could say like the rest of the world or like, yeah. In like a, you know, this is deck one, this is deck two. It was more of like, here's a bunch of chopped up samples and I would just kind of loop them in, like, kind of, like, live remix stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I did that for, like, for a while. That's and, pretty um, crazy. That's That seems like a scary way to DJ. Y- it was, actually. Yeah. It, was, it, was a very, it was a very not well thought out way of being, like, this is fun. This is some shit I could do. Like, I wasn't, I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to, what seemed scarier was actually doing all those songs live that are off that solo record that mm. I did. So I was like, well, I could kind of, like, do a set of all these, like, DJ, of all those, like, these chopped-up samples. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was booked as for a little bit. Did you feel like that album was well-received? 
Um, for the people who heard it, people really liked it. Yeah. You know, it was a lesson of, um, I wouldn't say it was a lesson. It was more of a thing of like, it took so much energy for me to put it out. Just energy in a sort of like, you know, like putting yourself out there just fucking takes energy. Like yeah. just releasing it, even if it's to like on Facebook to your homies, right? Yeah. Totally. It takes energy. Like it's a lot. Oh, yeah. It's like pressing, you know? And I think that um, it was well received to people who heard it, but I, it was a lesson of learning how to like per- self promote myself. Yeah. Or how that had to be a component, basically. So it was right. like, oh, yeah, I have to, like, fucking actually, like, push this product if I want people to really hear it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think people really dug it, but I think for more, it was me of just something that I had to do for myself, to be honest with you. Like, that's kind of how I look at that record. Oh, yeah. I yeah. totally understand. So, yeah, and, like, I, like, Gavin, you know Gavin, right? Gavin Castleton. Oh, yeah. It's been Groove Small. Yeah. yeah. Gavin actually had a, a little, like, online store that he released it, and it was just enough for me to be like, okay, this is a home. For totally. It. Yeah, and yeah. it was kind of cool. So from that DJ stuff, as I kind of moved into, um, I threw a party in San Francisco. It was the first time I ever sort of just started to throw a party. Yeah. Which I later do now, pretty much full-time. Um, oh. Yeah, that party was called Blood, Sweat, and Queers, and it was, like, a really fun dingy spot in Chinatown in San Francisco and um I was like playing sampler pads but I would bring out like tambourines and floor toms and shakers and like I was with this other guy named uh DJ Bunny Style who would DJ like more traditionally so he would do like you know on Serato and and it was like fucking rad because we would make these really cool like just like live mashups but have this like live energy it's actually in retrospect it's exactly what I want um, where I want Double Dutches to go now for our new material. Mm. So we'll, we can bookmark that and come back to that later. But it's sort <laughs> right. of like, it was weird when I was like thinking about it the past couple days and the, while we were on tour, and I was like, damn, I kind of want the energy to be like that. Mm. And it was, um, it was super fun and it was yeah. very DIY. And it was like, but that's why everybody liked it, of course. And so it affected more people than I had realized. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like in retrospect, I'd still have people that come up to me and be like, "Man, you remember that party you used to throw in Chinatown?" They're like, oh, "That yeah, was like the yeah. tightest shit ever," and I was like, "Awesome." Yeah. Um. So, anyways, that was sort of like the an introduction into like that world, which Double Dutchess, in a lot of ways, sort of lives in now. This sort of like party, like queer party, dance based, with but with like a live, you know performance kind yeah. of thing and um <clears throat> so yeah i did that and that's kind of how i met Crylon. he came to one of he used to come to those and um and those things kind of started around the same time like i was like producing i mean i've always sort of been producing like yeah. just stuff i've always just kind of like sit down and write stuff and um and i think part of the lesson for me was that like from the solo record i was like man i love like producing and, and writing um but i don't really love I don't think my voice is, like... I think I could find someone else that has more of a... Uh, um, impactful sort of lead kind of vocalist, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and uh, and at the time, it was, like, Krylon and I met, and we made that song, What's That, All That. Yeah. And it was kind of a joke. Like, we were literally, like, hanging out, just, like, having fun, and, like, made this track, and, like, people were just, like... Yeah, you know, the track's dope. You guys should make more music. Yeah, and we were like, 
oh, okay. Like it was super organic and really casual. And I think that's the beauty of the project is that at the end of the day, like if we take it too seriously, it's not going to work out, you know? Mm. That's like the level that client I need to interact in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so that, that song came out or we like, you know, we made that song and then, you know, made a few more and then we decided, all right, like, let's like have this be a project, you know? And so, yeah, yeah we made Hey Girl. Um, and yeah. And then kind of like started that year. We like shot a video at that same space that I used to throw that party at the basement and then kind of put the video out and then like, you know, started a fucking social media page on Facebook yeah. and, you know, like, and that's kind of how it slowly began. And it wasn't until we made that, the video for Bucket Bitch, which, which was the second video off of, from that EP, that we kind of got this like idea that it was like, that people were really into it, you yeah. know, because it got a lot of like crazy like kind of went i don't want to say it went viral because i, I knows, think that's fair to say who knows what level of hits yeah. that is but it definitely kind of like people kept reblogging it and reposting it and it was yeah. like brand new for a lot of people until so we were like whoa and then all of a sudden we we're like opening up for big frida and it was like crazy and we were like you know so that's kind of how all that came about yeah you know and it like is it mostly are you guys starting to play other places at that time, or is it like all like San Francisco or um, Oakland or, or whatever? Yeah, I think one of the first. Um, let's see. Around that time, yeah, we started to do a few things. Like we did, a, we did this party in Portland that we still do, um, and then we started to do. I mean, as you know, it's, like, way easier to do a tour, quote-unquote, on the East Coast than yeah. the West Coast. Totally. Um, so I think we may have did our first New York run, um, or, like, East Coast run, you know, Mid-Atlantic, around, yeah, like, maybe, like, a few months after that. Mm. So, like, the end of, yeah, like, the end of that year, I think. And did Crylon, did he, like, have the same, like like, you know, you've been in these bands for, like, years and years and, and done all these different projects was was it the same with him or was he more like like this was his first thing um it's not his first thing yeah like, he's been in a couple other bands and he worked with a producer and stuff before Krylon comes from more of a nightlife experience yeah so he used to do a lot of like performance art pieces very like super avant-garde in a way it's like drag to people who don't know any better but there's a huge difference between performance art and drag you know um performance art is a bit more sort of shocking and very like um evocative almost and sort of like it's all about this like sort of captivating people visually you know yeah. versus like performing a song and dressing up like somebody you know what i mean right 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 so he did a lot of that stuff and um he did a sex workers art show tour, which was actually a really big national tour. They went like all over the United States. And I think that was one of his more first experiences with touring. Oh, okay. Um, and that was just like a bunch of performances, kind of performance art stuff. Yeah. Um, kind of all around the states, and so. Um, but he like, in like the early '90s, Carlin was from Carlin was came from like the club kid movement. Right. I saw I saw it on your guys, website. which is like. Yeah. 
I was a little unfamiliar with it. Yeah. But it's kind of where that that movie Monster was made from, the one with Macaulay Culkin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of all about that. So it's basically, like, you know, it was basically a bunch of these, like, crazy kids dressing up and sort of being these, like, personalities for all these clubs. And it became this movement where they would sort of, like, tour and do all these, like, wild, wild, you know, performances or or whatever. And, um, And so it, whatever, the story is, like, basically this guy went really crazy and, like, killed somebody and, like... Oh, yeah. So anyways, he was, like worked at that club where all that happened and so he was sort of Im- immersed in that scene and yeah but at the same time was also sort of immersed in the vogue scene back when it was oh, like okay. more of a scene in the early 90s yeah so like willie ninja who was sort of like and a lot of people call him the godfather of vogue actually asked krylon when he was 20 to be in the house of house of ninja oh wow which is like okay. a pretty pre- pretty you know prestigious underground like um invitation you yeah know? and him being kind of young and just a little just shy, I guess, was kind of like, oh, you know, let me think about it, kind yeah. of, you know. And so, um, so he's kind of like been around and seen all that. And obviously, we're experiencing a huge resurgence of like, of you know, Vogue culture and, um, I guess you could say queer nightlife culture. I mean, it's always been around, but you know, the queer scene obviously is getting bigger. Mm. Um, and so, Carlin comes from a lot of that world, and yeah. then, um, also moved to Berlin when he was, like, 25, and so lived in Berlin for about seven or eight years. Um, was married to this guy. Did a lot of performance art stuff and some acting stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, musically, like, he's... I mean, he's done some stuff, like, with a producer. Like, he made a couple tracks and was in that video. that You know that band Black Box from the 90s? I don't, I don't remember. It's sort of in that, like, that, like, dancey... Um, dancey, like kind of hip hoppy, but like I'm trying to like think hip of what house kind of yeah, yeah, like the early like '90s version. He was in like, a couple of videos and okay, so he's kind of been around it a lot. Totally, you know, yeah. Um, and, and like, what was it like you guys going to New York for the first time and everything? It was pretty cool. Yeah, you know? it's difficult, you know, as you know, to yeah. get people to come to your shows. Yeah, when they either just heard about you or don't have anything, you know, you know, yeah. about, know about you from a YouTube video. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like, you know. Um, so it was rough, you know. It wasn't the easiest. And yeah. I was smart enough to wait till we had, like, an EP and a couple, you know, and a shirt or whatever to kind of, like, try to make ends meet. But Totally. Yeah, the turnout wasn't exactly anything to really mention, but. Yeah, yeah. You know. So, yeah, I guess from after that, we, um, you know, we started doing, you know, just other shows and branching out, and I think we started to just write some more songs and, um, you know, put out, like, another video for that song, Deviant. Yeah. Um, which was fun. It was a little bit of sort of us going back to a little bit more of that, like, 90s, sort of darker... Yeah, it feels really <laughs> dark in a way, the, yeah. like the video. And stuff. I think it was around the time that we were sort of realizing that, I was realizing I didn't really want to get branded as these, like, just another queer hip-hop act that was kind of, like, fun and silly, but we're not really, we don't really take them seriously, you know? Because there was a right. few things that were kind of happening around that time that were sort of, um, 
you know, that we're just kind of like, you know, I was sort of seeing people like, like Leaf and Mickey Blanco and a lot and Zebra oh, yeah. all of these kids who were sort of being a little bit more well-respected than say like, um, other cats, like Big Dipper, like other people who I think are great. However, um, they're a little bit more like on a comical side of things. Yeah. And it's not that it's a, it's not good or bad. It's just like, it's something that I think we consciously would have, we consciously didn't want to go down that, that far, you know? Oh yeah. Down the comedic sort of super light, campy road. We don't want to go, I mean, we're okay with being there, but we don't want to go too far down it. You know what I mean? Because I think we didn't want to get pigeonholed early is what I'm getting at. So, Deviant was sort of a, a backlash of that fear, almost. Mm. You're like, oh, let's make this, like, icy fucking 808 throwback, like, you know, housey sort of thing. Like, say, like, that song, like... I guess, where does the, the like, darkness in it come from? I think it kind of comes from... So, like, I mean, it's good timing. The video for All Eyes on Me just, just came out, and that's yes. sort of a darker, um... darker vibe song as well. Mm. Um... And I think, so, like, I'm, I don't, I'm sure Cry won't care about me talking about this, but, yeah. um, like, Cry's done some, like, sex work in the past, mm. and um, my friend Jeff has, too, and, like, uh, just people that I know, and so it's sort of this, like, um, celebration of this, like, this lifestyle yeah, in a lot of ways of sort of, like, a lot of younger kids, like, hook up with older dudes because they want to fucking feel rich and famous for a minute, yeah. you know, like, this whole sugar daddy vibe, and that's sort of where... All Eyes on Me comes from, and um, and Deviant particularly was sort of about this, like, we even sample something from that show Dynasty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, like, old money, weird, sort of, like, ostracizing the rest of the world kind of vibe. Yeah. And I think that's sort of where some of that comes into play. Yeah. And a lot of it was sort of, that sort of, like, the vibe of the song kind of came from, this, like, which a lot of, like, early, like, um, Paris is Burning, a lot of that sort of... It was sort of about living in this world that you didn't have access to. Mm. Was where a lot of, like, where Paris Burning and stuff like that sort of references. So it was kind of an homage to that era of, like, you know, reclaiming this, like, idea that we can't have access to all these nice things, but we could sort of, like, fantasize about them almost. Yeah, um, yeah. And all eyes on me is a little, almost a little bit more of like this is how it happens. You know, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> sugar daddies and young cute dudes use their advantage, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then sort of we kind of themed it around this like S and M sort of vibe because that's sort of where a lot of people associate darkness and sexual activity. And, yeah, you know, and that's kind of where the the visual idea kind of came into play. But mm. and and how was that one received? Like that album and that. That song and everything. Yeah, that song was, like, pretty well-received. I think it was a little bit... It, we didn't get quite a much of a splash from it. Yeah. But we sort of got attention from, like, this other demographic of people who are a little bit less hip-hop-y, but more into this, like, old-school, um, sort of the older alternative yeah. gay yeah. scene that we didn't really, you know, that we sort of, like... You know, had I'm sure they had eyes on us, but we didn't really do anything that resonated with them. And that's sort of a little bit of where Krylon is. Krylon and I differ. It's like I'm a very much more like new school and like looking at like what the kids are doing now and sort of like that. And Cry also, Cry usually tends to lean towards stuff that he like was influenced by when he was kind of younger. Yeah. Which a lot of times is sort of like this homage to like, like has this like throwback feel to it. Yeah. And I think collectively we kind of make it 
now. Totally. But with a throwback. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, Bullshit's a prime example of, like, taking this old Grace Jones song, but, like, giving it this, like, new school Baltimore Club Vogue vibe to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, like, well, the second album was, was basically we started doing it right after Deviant came out, and that was, um, that one's called Nocturnal, yeah. the EP. And so, basically, like, we started writing a few songs with Chris. Um, Chris and I sort of... Oh, right. Came back, you know, and started, decided to, like, make some more music together. And, yeah. Um, and so we wrote a few songs, and it actually started by us writing Good Girl Freak Out together. Um, oh, yeah. And Dan was sort of in the mix a little bit as well at that point. And, um, and Good Girl Freak Out was written for a while before we actually even released it. Mm. Um, and there's actually a couple songs in the new album that were written for, oh, like, a year and a half before it even came out. Because Nocturnal ended up being an EP that we we wanted to finish the album, but to me, a lot of the songs collectively didn't feel like an album yeah they kind of felt like some rad songs but it felt we kind of took the ones that we sort of thought cohesively made sense together and a lot of them were kind of like bangers or like a little bit more aggressively sounding yeah and um and kind of put them in an album or an ep and we're like okay we're gonna release this ep while we finish while we keep these songs that we're not gonna release now and sort of round out the sound for a fuller album yeah um, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So that's pretty much how it happened. And we started yeah. working with Kaz around that time. Um, and yeah, it was sort of the first experiences of, of Krylon and I working with somebody else. Yeah. Um, which was really good in, in a lot of ways. Obviously, Chris, Chris and I have a lot of the same, you know, tons of history of working together. Yeah. And, um, but Cry is also very, Krylon's a very, um, just impulsive in the studio, like he wants to just kind of go, mm. and I'm a little bit more methodic about it all. Yeah, methodical about it all. So it was nice to have. Cause is a little bit more impulsive. It, Chris can be a little bit of both, which is nice. So like oh, cool. he kind of worked really well with us together. Yeah. collectively. Um, I, oh, that's crazy. I I guess I didn't realize. I I know he sings on some tracks, but I didn't realize he was like a main producer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say main in the sense of like he. We kind of, it's kind of a case by case scenario. But a lot of the tracks, I'd come, I'd come up to him with like, I'd say seventy five percent, eighty percent done. Yeah. Which meaning like you know, chorus, verse, you know, basic beat structure. A lot of that stuff comes already there, and then yeah. it's like those in between nooks and crannies, those extra synth lines or those transitions, stuff like that. That I really needed somebody who was a little bit more musically. Um, uh, knowledgeable, I guess. Yeah. Um, to sort of finish some of those songs. Totally. You know. Yeah. Which is an, a good rate, a good way that Kaz and I kind of started working together because we had that rapport already. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So like, you know, songs like "All Eyes on Me," for example, like the most of the verses were written, the beat was written, but Kaz kind of came in and was like, we kind of played with some synth tones, and Chris is like, these are rad, and so we kind of did a lot of that stuff together. Yeah. And songs like, but. Like, Born Free, for example, was a bit more of, like, we started from scratch, and we kind of wrote it all together. Yeah. So, yeah. But for the most part, you know, like, Kaz definitely sort of played a definitely played a role in, in, like, in producing in that way, you know? That's awesome. Like, we kind of did most of the stuff from an incubation period, and when it was kind of ready for those, like, extra frills... Oh, yeah. Kaz would come in and sort of, we'd work it out, we'd work it out that way. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, man, I, I was telling you, and... Annapolis the other day but like 
I really thought your guys' show was like, I feel like it was like one of the best rap shows I've ever seen. It was, cool. it was Thank like, you. I remember you were saying like the energy was like re- between you two guys was really solid from the beginning, but like, I felt like it was more than just the energy. You you know what I mean? Like, I feel like when it's just energy, it the my liking it doesn't last. You okay. know, like sometimes you see a hype set, sure. and then you're like, the next day you're like, wait, what was that? Like, right? Was that anything? <laughs> but Got I don't it. know. Like just like the new like the new songs and and the way they're presented is just like so awesome. I cool. Think. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's um. I think what's exciting is to finally like be able to select a, a set. Yeah. Versus like, all right, these are ten songs. <laughs> right, right, Here we right. go. You know, it's just like, yeah. It's nice to have like, I mean, and we've been pretty adamant about putting out videos for the most part, which obviously I think helps people become a little bit familiar with something. Totally. More so than just you know, not. And so we can sort of like include some of those singles that we think that people know. And then start weeding in some of the new stuff, and it also creates this, like, um, uh, attention span for the for people who know us. Yeah. Who, I mean, let's be real, it's just, like, a lot of people watching a new song, you're a little bit like, oh, do I like this song? You're like, a right. lot more is going on, versus like, oh, I know the song, and I'm in it, and I'm yeah. like, feeling myself, and you da-da-da-da. Definitely. Like, it's like, um, it creates a little bit more of a, a buffer when you can throw in those like stuff that people know, yeah, and sort of and then base it around like the new songs, sort of strategically place them, yeah, you know. And Cry and I always go over sets together. We both are really good at sort of reading the crowd, um, and sort of reading the crowd from performing the songs a couple of times. Like you know how it leaves the crowd feeling, yeah, you know, totally. And um, and so yeah, I think a lot of that it's it is, is you're right. It isn't just it's just energy. I think right, it's also right. from performing together for a while. Yeah, to really know like you know where we are and where to back each other up. And, yeah, you know the vibe in the room that night was like really new to me. You know, like and it wasn't like a huge show or anything, but it, right. like I just thought the vibe was like. Something where I felt like, wait, like every show ever should be like this. <laughs> right. Do you, I don't know. Do you feel like you've kind of like tapped into this like awesome? I think, I think we've like, tapped into like the safe zone. <laughs> yeah. For a lot of people. Yeah. Like, I feel like Cry and I are pretty unapologetic about who we are. Right, like, right. That's just whatever. And I think that musically it's like it's high energy enough. And not only, it's not even high energy enough. It's like fun and positive without being cheesy and it's also I think in that sense it creates um I feel like people who are really gay feel comfortable and I think really like and people who may not be super comfortable or in like a gay scene also feel comfortable yeah because I think that in a lot of ways Cry and I balance each other out really well like I'm kind of like naturally a little bit more butch and a little bit more right 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 methodical and like and just kind of like masculine and cry is very much Krylon, like very more feminine and sort of yeah and i think there's a little bit of everybody everything even though there's only two of us it's sort of this like idea where like you see a little bit of like whatever you need to see whether you're gay or straight or somewhere in the middle right, right. do you know what i mean yeah and i think the beauty of it is that it's naturally we're just kind of like that like we're right, very right, right. like 
we're very Andre and Big Boy. Like, yeah. <laughs> naturally. Like, I mean, I think it's kind of contagious in a way that it's like, at some point, it's like, if you're, if you're waiting for the crowd to give you what you need, you're also giving the crowd the, you're giving the crowd the power over what you want to put out. Right. Right. But if like, if you're just fucking go out and do a show, like I think Cryo and I have always done this. We've never really made music that is like, that we feel like doesn't make us like move around a lot. And like, you know what I mean? Regardless of whatever fucking tempo it is, it's like the energy's there, whether it's like, or like aggressive and really hyphy or like just, um, super dancey and bouncy or like whatever you know what i mean yeah and i think that that it's really difficult for us to produce that music and like play it live without it without us reacting to a certain way yeah so i think by nature of like us reacting to the music that we're performing people around you sort of react to the way that you're performing right right so it's just like it's kind of contagious and yeah sure we'll play shows even in San Francisco, where the crowds are a little bit subdued, you know? Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is that too cool for school factor. Like, we played Richmond on Saturday. We ended the tour in Richmond, and, um, you know, whatever. I'm sure Richmond doesn't get a ton of acts that stop through all the time. And But the people went fucking bananas. Yeah. And it was like, they're also really hungry for queer representation, number one. Um, but I think that... They also are hungry for cool representation that, like, makes them react that way, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people, even if they don't really, even if they're not going crazy, like, they see it in other people, and it's, like, it's exciting to them to totally. bear witness to it, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, you weren't, like, jumping off the roof and fucking freaking out, but you were, like, moved by it. On right, level. You're right. seeing people being like, oh, wow, they're, like, really feeling it, you know? Yeah. And totally. I think that's contagious. Totally. Cool. Well, apparently... This video has just dropped yeah. during the interview. We were waiting. Uh, it premiered on Thump, which is exciting for us. Cool. Thump is like the subdivision of Vice. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty excited about it. Awesome, man. Yeah. Cool. Well, I know you got to get rolling, So, but thank you so much for coming by. Man. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Dave. See you next week.